Hey, this is Taylor Gray, Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels, and you are listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Taylor Gray and Ezra Bridger say out. do that. Welcome to episode 26 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Monday, September 9th, 2019. Uh, we're actually recording a couple episodes this week as I'm going to be out in Southern California visiting Disneyland Park uh, next week, and uh, that is basically when I'm going to be dropping this episode. So uh, in the interim, we're just going to go ahead and get this recorded. We're going to uh, not have any news on this particular episode as it's going to be pre-recorded. And I am joined once again by my good friend and co-host, Tom. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Rob, and it's always good to be with you here on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. <laughs> awesome. And I'm really looking forward to uh, meeting up with you and Michelle next week and getting a chance to finally experience uh, Black Spire Outpost there on the lovely planet of Batu. We are very excited for it as well. I know you're going to really love it once you finally get to experience it for yourself. And we are excited to uh, be there with you for your first journey to Batu. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording that it's going to be a little closer to Mustafar than Batu, maybe uh, out there at the park on the Saturday that we're going to be in there together. Uh, but it's still going to be a great experience and really looking forward to checking out all the detail that they put into that land. So if you are interested in hearing a little bit more about that experience, uh, I plan on putting together an episode, not necessarily the uh, the first week that we're back, I already have another episode planned with uh, Tony and his boys over at the Disney Discussions podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, different generations and how they've come to Star Wars. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. But uh, probably that next week, we're going to go ahead and do uh, sort of our review of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out there at the Disneyland Resort. Yeah, it be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a scorcher the first day you're out there. So it truly will be bright suns while you're in <laughs> Black Spire Outpost. More like on the sun, I think. But yes, we, we will endure, as we always say, for the children. 
So for this week, uh, the topic that we are going to start delving into is really uh, something that is not addressed within any of the films of the Star Wars kind of pantheon, uh, not during the prequels, not during the original trilogy, and certainly not during the current uh, sequel trilogy. So uh, it is about the rise of the rebellion or the rebel alliance, as most people know it. And certainly, you know, we see the rise of the empire within the prequel films uh, by the end of revenge of the Sith. And when we get to even rogue one and uh, you know, the original star Wars, which is now titled a new hope, the rebellion is already established. So uh, if you're coming from just a film perspective, you don't get to see how the rebel Alliance kind of forms. If you are familiar with the animated series, then you get a little bit more background for how that comes together. And really what we're looking to do today is kind of bring everyone up to speed on how the rebel Alliance uh, kind of evolved over the course of the reign of the first galactic empire and how they became the rebel alliance that we see when we when we watch that original star wars film yeah if you have just seen uh, a new hope or if, if, even if you've watched rogue one it would seem like the rebel alliance was pretty unified and ready to go and already battling in full force the empire at that time but it really it came from a lot of different locations a lot of different small factions and it had to uh, be brought together by a unifying force to, to make this work and make it stand as you see it in the films. Right. And one of the really interesting things about the evolution of the rebellion is that if you go back and look, uh, it's really during the Clone Wars era that Anakin Skywalker was really uh, kind of instrumental in the birth of the rebellion. Uh, it happened on the planet of Onderon. And there was a rebel, a group of rebels there that were fighting back against the separatists that had claimed their planet. And this was a group of people that included both Saw Gerrera, who we do see in both the Clone Wars, Rebels, and certainly in Rogue One, if you're familiar with the films. And at the time, his sister, Stila Guerrera. Uh, so Anakin and Obi-Wan were sent there. Uh, Ahsoka Tano was also included uh, as Anakin's Padawan uh, in this training of these Onderon rebels. And what they were doing was not necessarily fighting the war for them, but showing them how they could effectively fight that war as a rebel cell against an occupying force. Onderon is in your king's rule, and at the outbreak of the Clone War, he chose to align it with the Separatists. Our true king has been silenced. The one you recognize is a traitor and a Separatist minion. We need your help to survive this. Find a way. We shall. We await your answer. There are pockets of rebels on many of these planets that just need guidance. With training and resources, they could attack soft targets while the Republic continues to engage them on the battlefield. That sounds like terrorism, Anakin. Well, I think of it as an insurgency. To help realign these planets with the Republic, we can divide the Separatist forces and press them on two fronts. A means to an end. Fear cannot be. Stop those who spread terror. The Jedi must. Indeed. What you're suggesting would open up dangerous possibilities, and we must not train terrorists. Uh, rebels. How we conduct war is what distinguishes us from others. Funding rebels to overthrow a legitimate government puts innocent lives at risk. We 
can minimize collateral damage by using arms that mainly affect droids. The least we can do is help them defend themselves. Test the tactic while we're at it. <laughs> this could be a great new weapon for us. Observe. Send advisors. We will. I'll assemble a team. I'm going with you. <laughs> what? You don't trust me? Too much. That's what worries me. Hmm. A bit rough around the edges, wouldn't you say? That's why I brought Rex here. They're not exactly what I would call shiny, sir, but I can work with them. Skywalker, at your service. This is General Kenobi, Commander Tano, and Captain Rex. We're looking forward to taking a fight to those scrapping droids. Yes, all in good time. Saw, Saw Guerrera. He fashions himself as our leader, though no one elected him. Well, for now, we're in charge. And there is much to learn. Separatists have strength in numbers. We're going to show you how to target and destroy them. Now, to be clear, we are not here to fight your war. Rather, to show you how to conduct it in the most efficient and successful way possible. Captain Rex. I'll show you how the 501st destroyed Clankers. First, I need volunteers to carry supplies from our entry point a half-click west. Shouldn't be a problem. Excellent. Yeah, which was exactly what was happening on their planet. They had taken out their leader, installed their own leader within this planet, and uh, they wanted to fight back against this situation. And so uh, Stila Guerrera actually kind of took over as the, this Rebel Cells leadership group, uh, aided by, of course, uh, Anakin and Ahsoka kind of training them along the way. And uh, they fought back. And yes, that was the very beginning from what many people will know of the rebel alliance yeah and it was also interesting because i think people who are familiar with saw Gerrera specifically as it relates to rogue one you know he seems to be in charge of that uh well they're not really part of the rebel alliance at that point they're more extremists they're more considered to be almost terrorists but he is clearly in charge of that group and uh, certainly, as Tom mentioned, when you see them uh, on Onderon and they're getting assistance from Anakin and Obi-Wan, Steela is actually the person that that takes control of that group. And certainly she was probably the more level-headed of the two. And uh, it almost is unfortunate that um, events in the Clone Wars play out the way they do. And she ends up not leading that group because, uh, you know, she certainly would have been someone who probably would have kept her rebel cell reined in, I guess, a little bit and in a position where they could have aligned with Mon Mothma and the rest of the Rebel Alliance. And I think, you know, the loss that uh, Saw feels from this, along with the many other things that uh, come along in his lifetime, kind of drive him to be this paranoid force that you see when you watch Rogue One, a Star Wars story. He is definitely on the side of the rebellion, but he wants to take action. He doesn't want to have diplomacy be part of it. He's fighting very militaristically, or actually very, like you said, Rob, 
very much in a terrorist form against the empire, but that's what he sees as needed to be done to get uh, across what uh, he wants to see as far as the rebellion. But, you know, I mean, at the, the bottom line is when you watch that film and you see Jyn Erso running off with Cassian Andor as uh, Jedha is being destroyed, he still says, you know, save the rebellion, save the dream. So he, at heart, wants to see the rebellion succeed. Yeah, and it's actually interesting with Saw Gerrera because uh, you could probably, I think we're probably at some point going to do an entire episode on him. He's a very complex character. He really is kind of littered through both uh, the Clone Wars animated series as well as Star Wars Rebels, and we certainly see him within Rogue One. But there's an interesting parallel in a lot of ways between him and Anakin in the sense that what you see with Saw is his extremism kind of proceeds as he loses more and more of his humanity as he is replaced more and more by machine parts. And uh, that is certainly something that we see with Anakin as well. Yeah, I mean, there was no coincidence that when you heard him uh, sort of using his breathing apparatus in Rogue One, that the sound effect for it was very similar to that of uh, Darth Vader's breathing apparatus. It was it was very similar, and I that, that definitely Gareth Edwards was trying to create that feel when they made that film for sure. Yeah, I also think that probably anyone with teenagers would kill for their own Borgullet. Um, you know, certainly be able to get to the truth of the matter is uh, is something that any parent would would like. Although the madness portion is probably a little to the a little beyond the pale. I don't know. There's plenty of people who have children that would also understand like the madness already exists. <laughs> Why not go for it? Exactly. So, uh, you know, the the interesting thing about the, again, uh, the birth of the rebellion is that Anakin is so closely tied to that. And as we see, the rebellion certainly becomes a thorn in the side of both Anakin and his role as Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine as well. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I should also mention that for the purposes of this podcast, we are really just talking about the rise of the Rebel Alliance. Uh, and we're only going to take this up to the uh, events of the episode of New Hope and, and the Battle of Yavin, because really the Rebel Alliance at that point uh, morphs into, uh, well, actually uh, the Battle of Endor, they morph into the New Republic and, and become kind of a different entity. And we'll get into that in a separate episode. Yeah, I mean, there's really so much depth there. And it's, it's also much of it. I mean, there is plenty of stuff and plenty of stories that happen in between the actual films of the original trilogy. Uh, but m most people don't know, and I think that's why it's great that you're bringing this subject up, Rob, is is uh, where the Rebel Alliance came from, how it emerged into the the, the force that it was. And, uh, you know, it, it had its struggles from the beginning and even th through the original trilogy films. And it really is a, a, a very interesting subject. And I'm sure we will touch on more of it as we uh, get into other episodes of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Absolutely. And, you know, we've certainly talked about Rogue One on the Hyperion Adventures podcast in your series about uh, Star Wars Remembered. And one of the things that I really do love about that film is that up until that point, you end up with this kind of polarized view. The Empire is all bad. The Rebellion is all good. And Rogue One is not afraid to deal with the fact that really it's all shades of gray. You've got these members of the Rebellion that have been fighting since you know, they were children and, and saw these horrors and that's what inspired them to act. But in the process of rebelling against the empire, they've committed acts that are in some cases probably just as heinous as the things that the empire had done. Uh, the only difference being that they were doing them in an effort to kind of free the galaxy from this tyranny as opposed to, uh, you know, it's kind of ratcheting down this control over the galaxy. It's war. I mean, no matter what you believe is your rationale, whether you are on the correct side or whether you aren't, 
uh, you're going to do things that uh, are probably not seen as uh, exactly what you would want to have as your, I don't know, your, your focus. You're going to be doing things. Yes, we are good. We're doing good things, but that doesn't mean we don't have to do bad things to accomplish the greater goal eventually. Yeah. And uh, the greater good is certainly a theme that that always kind of uh, ends up rearing its head in war in those types of scenarios. So, uh, but to get into a little bit of the information about the the early formation of the Rebel Alliance, certainly at the time that uh, you know the Clone Wars were going on, and and Emperor Palpatine at the time, or Supreme Chancellor Palpatine, really at that point in time, had gotten his emergency powers from the Galactic Senate and was in the process of you know trying to wrest even more control from from the Senate. Uh, there was a lot of discontent amongst the senators at that time, and they ended up signing a petition of 2000 is what it was called, uh, which it basically was something that expressed the concerns of those who signed it with Palpatine's rule and kind of called for him to relinquish his emergency powers as soon as possible because they could see uh, in many cases that it was headed down a road where he could become an, a, a complete dictator. And as we find out, you know, he becomes the emperor of the first galactic empire. Yeah. I, I, if you uh, remember from Revenge of the Sith, you know, you heard, uh, I believe it was actually from Obi-Wan that he mentioned that, you know, look, uh, he's had this role longer than his term limits were supposed to uh, allow him to have it. You can see him gaining more power as he moves along. Uh, that the, there was reason behind this. And so, yes, this was brought up by Bail Organa and Padme Amidala and Mon Mothma to kind of, hey, let's put the brakes on this. We can't have this guy continue to be in this kind of power because we see this going in completely the wrong direction from what we knew as the Old Republic. Right. And one of the interesting things about it was that, you know, despite the fact that Palpatine took control of the Republic and made it into the First Galactic Empire, he didn't immediately dissolve the Senate. And of course, with the politicians involved, all kind of acting in their own self-interest, there was a period of time there where uh, the Empire really flourished because there was so much maneuvering going on politically that there was no one who was willing to unify and uh, do what they needed to do to stop Palpatine from grabbing even more power onto himself. Right. And keeping the Senate intact was kind of an illusion of what he wanted it to look like and how he could keep the systems kind of in place. So, so they're not rebelling immediately against him by keeping it like, yeah, we still have your senators here. You are still represented. I'm the emperor. Yes. And I make the final decisions, but I still listen to all of you when it, finally, when they built the actual Death Star, he's like, OK, don't need you anymore. So he, that's when he completely got rid of the Senate thing, because that was his intent on how he was going to keep these systems from rebelling against him at that point. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, we've all seen scenarios where someone takes a hostage in order to make people around them do uh, whatever it is that they're looking for. And in that case, I mean, with the Death Star at his beck and call, he was essentially taking, you know, to, it's one thing to say, if you do, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill your child or I'm going to kill your wife or your husband or whatever the case may be. But in this case, it was, I'm going to kill your, everyone on your entire planet. Uh, and it was certainly uh, an excellent, you know, leverage for him against those who were interested in rebelling against him. And it really does speak to the fact that uh, you look at Leia Organa, particularly, uh, she was able to watch the death of her entire world and still maintain the focus that was necessary to uh, you know, kind of stay the course and and do what she could to make sure that the rebels were going to be victorious in the end. If anything, it steals her resolve that much more, having to witness that in front of her as, as traumatizing as that had to be. But you could tell that 
Um, look, I see what this is. It doesn't surprise me. I'm shocked by this at the same time, but it doesn't surprise me coming from this emperor who has done terrible things uh, across the galaxy that this would happen and we need to make sure that it does not continue. Absolutely. So uh, early in the early days of the rebellion, you're looking at a situation where instead of there being this large organized rebellion against the empire, there were these smaller cells of individuals that were rebelling. Uh, they were staying isolated from each other. And as we kind of come to find out later on, uh, spe specifically in uh, the book Ahsoka and then into Star Wars Rebels, that really the the one of the primary agents behind the organization of the early rebellion was Ahsoka Tano, who we've talked about in detail in prior episodes as Fulcrum, who uh, was kind of a secret intelligence role that she took on in, concor in concurrence with uh, Bail Organa and his rebellion against the Empire. I don't even know your name. His name is Senator Bail Organa. And the crews of the blockade runners? Members of other rebel cells. There are other cells. We're a cell? Wait, did you know we were a cell? Um, no. We weren't supposed to meet. That way, if captured, we couldn't reveal the other rebels to the Empire. That was the protocol. The protocol has changed. Then uh, later on, it evolved into more of a formal alliance when they joined up with Mon Mothma and her forces uh, prior to the actual uh, declaration of rebellion against the Empire that was later issued. Yeah, I mean, it actually, you know, it needed a big step from a big personality like Mon Mothma to uh, bring all these groups together into this alliance. Because, yes, there were a lot of rebel cells, but they were working on their own, doing their own thing not really working together. So they needed somebody like Mon Mothma to take the reins and show them, look, we are stronger together than we are separate. And that's essentially what she did. Yep. And one of the cool things about Star Wars Rebels in particular is that uh, well, there's a lot of people who maybe haven't seen that animated series, and certainly Tom and I have talked it up ad nauseum on prior episodes of this podcast, but uh, one of the things that really makes that such a great series is that it is really focused around one of these early rebel, uh, you know, cells of what would eventually become the larger rebellion. Uh, it was a group that referred to itself as the Spectres, and it was consisted of uh, Harrison Dula, who was kind of the leader of the group and the captain of the ship called the Ghost as well as Kanan Jarrus, who was a Padawan who had escaped the Jedi Purge, whose uh, Jedi Master Depa Balaba had sacrificed herself so that he could live. Uh, you had uh, Gerazeb or Zeb Aurelios, that is uh, a character uh, who is a Lasat, but he is actually one of the early concept drawings for Chewbacca within the original trilogy, uh, which is kind of an interesting little twist. And then you've got other characters like Sabine Wren, who is a female Mandalorian, uh, kind of a teenager, but also a, a weapon specialist in a lot of ways. 
and then they join up later by Ezra Bridger, who is uh, one of the key members of that group and another force sensitive that Kanan gets together with and, and begins training. And their droid chopper, who once again, you've got another scenario where Star Wars does a genius job of, of developing another one of these droids that just takes on a personality all its own and you, uh, you just can't help but get attached to it. Yeah, Chopper, talk about a personality all his own. He is, uh, I don't know, maybe he's uh, R2-D2 if he's, you know, not slept in a couple nights or whatever, because he's always kind of on edge. He's got a little anger to him. But, you know, when it's all said and done, Chopper comes through more often than not. Another fascinating character. And also, if you haven't, even if you haven't uh, seen Rebels, you may have seen him. He makes a small appearance in uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Yeah, and there's a number of times as well that you can see the ghost within Rogue One, which is kind of a, a cool little Easter egg. I thought there were only one or two places where you could see it, but the more I watch that film, the more I catch uh, spots where you get to see a little glimpse of it here, a little glimpse of it there, either on the landing pad at the Yavin 4 uh, Masasi Temple base or within uh, the scene where the rebellion arrives over Scarif. Uh, and there's a number of places where you can kind of see it flying through the battle there. So and and the other thing uh, that is noteworthy here is that within Rogue One, um, during the period of time where they're kind of gathering their forces to head to Scarif, you can kind of hear over the loudspeaker that uh, General Syndulla is being called. And that is Harris Syndulla that we uh, get to know within the Star Wars Rebel series. Yeah, it was actually an interesting little tidbit when that came across because Rebels was still in production at that time. We had no idea what had happened to that crew at that point. You just know that you had not seen them anywhere in the original trilogy film. So you didn't know if they, you know, something was going to happen to them uh, up ahead of that. So when these announcements were taking place immediately right before you know, A New Hope, you, you realize, okay, that they still exist, that whatever's going to happen in the future of Star Wars Rebels as they wrap that series up, that at least some of these characters ha have made it through to this point anyway. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about that is that uh, kind of to, to the same effect, there has always been this thought, uh, you know, those of us who watched the original trilogy right when it came out, we took it at face value that Luke was really the last of the Jedi within the galaxy. And if you watch some of these animated series, and I'm not going to go into detail because uh, I don't want to ruin anything, but there is certainly the possibility that there are other Jedi uh, floating around out there in the galaxy or other force sensitives that may have had some minor bit of Jedi training. Uh, so that may very well end up playing into Luke and kind of putting together the Jedi Academy again uh, within the sequel trilogy. I don't know if they're going to really go into that a whole lot, but I'm certainly hopeful that uh, that is something that gets explored at some point. Yeah. Um, well, there we've talked about Ahsoka Tano many times on this show. You know, you know I'm not going to spoil anything really about her throughout these animated series, other than, except for what we've already done, of course. But uh, you know, there, there are others just like her that, yes, maybe they were around, maybe they weren't quite tied in with the Jedi at that moment. Maybe they were on the fringe, but uh, there's bound to be more stories to be told out there. Those that uh, kind of escaped Order 66, at least to begin with. Absolutely. So one of the other uh, bits of, of information that we want to throw out there is that so within Star Wars Rebels, we start with this group that are known as the Spectres. They're a small rebel cell. Eventually, they join up with a larger subset of the overall rebellion. And this is even prior to uh, Mon Mothma bringing the full rebel alliance together. But there is a group known as Phoenix Squadron. 
Uh, and that is, uh, was a group that was uh, run by a commander named uh, Yun Sato. Yep, Yun Sato, uh, who, again, was, was one of these people that was gathering some of these smaller cells unto himself and uh, starting a larger movement. So uh, they fold into Phoenix Squadron and uh, undertake a number of missions alongside Ahsoka Tano during this period of time, uh, which leads up to the Siege of Lothal. And Lothal, for those of you who have caught it in prior episodes that we've mentioned, uh, is the home planet of Ezra Bridger and is kind of a a center point for a lot of the activity within Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, there's a a surprising uh, amount of interest into this place that uh, you wouldn't expect. Uh, you know, it's a it's a planet you've never really heard of much, as, you know, throughout Star Wars yet. Uh, there was a lot of interest in this planet and a lot of uh, fascinating stuff happened here. And it was a good reason why they had a rebel cell emerge out of this group because the Empire was really coming down on them hard. Yeah. Um, the other kind of fun little bit of trivia that uh, occurs while they're part of Phoenix Squadron is that the rebels undertake a mission where they are able to uh, acquire some prototype B-Wing starfighters. And I bring those up because those are something that was featured pretty prominently in this most recent trailer for The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, they're the uh, blade wings, so they're they're kind of a flat profile until they open up their attack foils. And when that happens, they look kind of like a, a lowercase t. Uh, but the cool little uh, tidbit about those fighters is that they were designed by a Moncal a Mon Calamari uh, engineer named Quarry, and that is a reference back to Ralph McQuarrie, who was really the the person whose artwork drove a lot of the original Star Wars film. Uh, and you can certainly, if there's anything that you love visually within Star Wars, you could probably trace it back to the hand of Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah, not only did it drive the artwork, drive it, you actually will see it if you go into some, and watch some of the original trilogy. You know, they did a lot of uh, as they were developing technology. This was before CGI, even with George Lucas adding a lot of that on the special editions and such. But if you look at a lot of the backgrounds, uh, some of them are made up from matte paintings that are made for, directly from uh, Macquarie's work. So, you know, you can see it when you watch these films. Yeah. And, you know, Ralph Macquarie, along with people like Bert and the sound design that he did, uh, are people that I still don't feel like get enough uh, props in regards to Star Wars. But it is really their work that that drives, you know, John Williams, certainly for his music, uh, has been recognized ad nauseum. But uh, some of these people who were in maybe less uh, famous roles within the Star Wars production department uh, certainly have contributions that, uh, you know, you can't imagine Star Wars without the sounds that you hear, be it the characters or be it the lightsabers or whatever the case may be, that that would all be at the feet of Ben Burt. Uh, but certainly all of the visuals that you see really uh, were a collaboration between the mind of George Lucas and then the hand of Ralph McQuarrie. Right. And then just the, you know, the special effects alone, they were so ahead of their time uh, when this all started back in 77. And you look at the emergence of industrial light and magic and how it's actually just taken over and is the premier uh, special effects unit in film. As a matter of fact, many films that aren't dealing with Lucasfilm or Disney or whatever else 
use industrial light magic because they are always top notch. And that started way back in 77. Yes, certainly. And uh, so really getting back to our storyline here, one of the things that occurs uh, during the period of time where the the specters and the, the characters that we come to know within Rebels are working with um, with Phoenix Squadron is that Thrawn, who we've also discussed in prior episodes, is eventually dispatched to deal with this group of Rebels. And in the process of doing so, you know, he is tasked with getting rid of this Rebel cell out around the area of Lothal. Uh, but he really has kind of a more grand mission in mind, which is to not only deal with them, but to eliminate the rebellion altogether. So he does allow some kind of minor victories by the members of Phoenix Squadron. They are able to get away with a, a group of Y-Wings that uh, certainly play into the events of what we see within A New Hope. But uh, ultimately, what Thrawn is looking to do is to track down the core group of the rebellion and to eliminate them and, and thus really remove that threat from the Empire. Yeah, he's not looking for small wins. He's looking for large wins. You know, obviously, he, he does want to, you know, wear this group down. But more than anything else, he wants information on how he can bring down the entire rebellion, not just one little cell. Right. So eventually, uh, events play out where uh, Mon Mothma is uh, being transported or being escorted by the members of the Ghost. And she ends up being the one who ultimately from the ghost is responsible for issuing the declaration of the rebel alliance. And she resigns from the Senate and brings together the forces uh, kind of under one group. And that takes place uh, at Dantooine. This is Senator Mon Mothma. I've been called a traitor for speaking out against a corrupt galactic Senate, a Senate manipulated by the sinister tactics of the emperor. For too long, I've watched the heavy hand of the Empire strangle our liberties, stifling our freedoms in the name of ensuring our safety. No longer, despite Imperial threats, despite the Emperor himself, I have no fear as I take new action. For I am not alone. Beginning today, we stand together as allies. I hereby resign from the Senate to fight for you, not from the distant halls of politics, but from the front lines. We will not rest until we bring an end to the Empire, until we restore our Republic. Are you with me? tie-in to the original trilogy and the fact that uh, Princess Leia kind of throws that out there as a location of the hidden rebel base, there is actually uh, some serious significance as far as the Rebel Alliance goes to the planet of Dantooine. What a, a move by Mon Mothma to, I mean, basically commit a giant act of treason. She'd be kind of working under the radar to this point to make these things happen, but she decided, look, we need to get this together. I need to be the unifying force. So she goes onto the ghost and does make this announcement, steps away from the Senate, realizes, look, I can't do anything with the Senate anymore, but I can do something by rallying the troops and forming this one uh, giant rebel alliance. And uh, it's, um, you know, Mon Mothma is another uh, 
character that you probably should go more in depth into because uh, she deserves so much credit for what happened with the Rebel Alliance and eventually what, uh, you know, we assume happens with the uh, New Republic. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, she's getting some recognition uh, kind of off the cuff by Disney with the announcement of the new Halcyon uh, Star Cruiser and that Star Wars hotel that's being put together because that is the product of what they refer to as Chandrala Star Lines, essentially. And that is the home planet of Mon Mothma. So certainly that is a character that we will dive more into as as we get into more topics kind of down the road. Um, the other character that is tightly tied to Mon Mothma and the gathering of the rebellion is another uh character that we do actually get to see in the films and that's jen dodonna uh who is general dodonna who is the person that actually gives uh luke and the rest of the pilots the debriefing when they're about to go attack the death star within episode four the battle station is heavily shielded and carries a firepower greater than half the star fleet its defenses are designed around a direct large-scale assault A small, one-man fighter should be able to penetrate the outer defense. Pardon me for asking, sir, but what good are snub fighters going to be against that? Well, the Empire doesn't consider a small, one-man fighter to be any threat, or they'd have a tighter defense. An analysis of the plans provided by Princess Leia has demonstrated a weakness in the battle station. The approach will not be easy. You're required to maneuver straight down this trench and skim the surface to this point. The target area is only two meters wide. It's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. The shaft leads directly to the reactor system. A precise hit will start a chain reaction which should destroy the station. Only a precise hit will set up a chain reaction. The shaft is ray shielded so you'll have to use proton torpedoes. That's impossible, even for a computer. But it's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much better than two meters. Then man your ships, and may the Force be with you. Yeah, I played a huge role right from the beginning of kind of being the architect of the uh, rebel, you know, fighting force of, of designing the plans to try and you know, how we're going to approach and attack the Empire. And uh, he deserved, again, another great sort of under-the-radar character that deserves a lot of credit for what uh, became the eventual Rebel Alliance. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I don't want to go into too much more detail on the remainder of the storyline within Star Wars Rebels because there is a lot of spoiler information there that, you know, kind of major items that I'd prefer to stay clear of. But it does bear noting Thrawn as a threat to the Rebellion uh, is something that we never see play out. So so that is clearly resolved in some way, shape, or form within the events of Star Wars Rebels. I would certainly recommend that people go out there and check that out. Uh, we've already laid out in prior prod- podcasts what an important character he is and what a master tactician. Um, and I'm certainly hopeful that uh, that we'll get to hear or see more of Thrawn, hopefully in a little bit more uh, of a supporting role as opposed to a uh, a, a role where he is set against the members of the Rebel Alliance or the New Republic or uh, even the uh, Resistance as it now plays out within the sequel trilogy. But needless to say, all of this plays into the events of Rogue One. Uh, and for those of you who are familiar with that movie, you know, that does center around Jyn Erso uh, and her father Galen Erso, who was responsible in, in many ways for uh significant portion of the creation of the first Death Star. And uh, that whole storyline really is is about how the Rebels do get a hold of those plans, 
uh, that Darth Vader is trying to track down within episode four. So if you have not seen Rogue One, again, another another piece of uh, Star Wars film that you absolutely should go check out. It's an ensemble cast. It's not about the Sith and the Jedi per se, uh, but it does tell a great story within the, you know, the overall arc of, of Star Wars. Yeah, all based on the original crawl from the original Star Wars, of course, A New Hope. Because uh, it discusses right that they, the the Jedi or not the Jedi the Rebel Alliance just basically got their first major victory, and that is what happened, what transpires within Rogue One. And it, there's it it's a really fascinating film and some interesting things that kind of lead directly into A New Hope. Uh, I, I I now consider it like you have to watch them both together because I just feel like it's, uh, you know, as much as Star Wars, A New Hope was, uh, you know, the original. But now it's like they, they, they almost seem like they're one fully functioning film together. And also when we were talking about so many things about, you know, Star Wars Rebels, and if you haven't seen that, there are so many little Easter eggs. Yes, you you have dropped a few out there, Rob, uh, you know, discussing uh, you know, the ghost and, you know, and that, that chopper makes an appearance and you get the call for General Sandula and everything. But there are so many other references that are within the Rebel series that just kind of come across subtly in that film that it really, if you go back and you go watch Rebels, you're going to pick and choose all, and find all these little knickknacks within that film that are going to enlighten you that much more and give you just that much more joy when you watch it. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, that's really what inspired me to do this podcast in the first place was the fact that there are so many uh, references that get made. If you dig into some of this other content and some of these other stories that when you do go back and you can watch, rewatch uh, the original trilogy or you can rewatch uh, any of the sequels or you can rewatch the prequels. And there are things that you pick up by kind of digging into some of this other content that really does elevate the story that you're getting. Uh, and, you know, certainly we've talked about it in regards to the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith and uh, getting that deeper understanding of just who Anakin Skywalker was and how how sad his fall was, um, which you do get a, a bit of that watching the films. But to understand the depths uh, of his fall based on the heights that he'd risen to as a Jedi and that it wasn't about wanting to do evil. It was all for good reasons. It was just that it became twisted uh, and and. It was it was issues with himself that he just could not deal with. Um, but when you do get to in, engage, I guess, in some of that other content and you do get some of those little Easter egg references, it just opens up entire other doors in the films that you think you've you've picked every little detail out of. Yeah. The one thing about Star Wars, and I think that we've all been through this as Star Wars fans, where people wonder why you're so involved in star wars why you like these you know outer space movies so much but it's not just these outer space movies there is so much depth to this universe and there's so much cross-pollination within it and that you you can really delve deeply into it and and really enjoy it and you know, the more of uh, this uh reference material that you take in and it really just expands the world even that much more for you and i even include now going to the planet of Batu and to Black Spire Outpost, as you're about to do coming up this weekend, Rob, there's that much more to delve into once you get to that area. So it's it's great. Not only can we get it from, of course, the films, but also the animated series, now the books, the comics, and now actually a place you can visit. It's just, 
it is really a wonderful place to be and it, i you know it, it is exciting every more every each day it's more and more exciting to be a star wars fan yeah and it's going to be interesting to see as as you mentioned you know once that star wars hotel opens uh and the events of of what t- uh, transpires kind of on batu uh, how much of that actually is truly going to be canon? My understanding is is that much of it is going to be considered canon. Um, and once again, it's just going to give us some additional uh, context for things that we think that we already know or things that we've seen and kind of thought that we'd pulled every detail out of. So uh, again, I, I'm pretty confident that most people have already seen the original trilogy. We're not going to go into too much detail uh, here with that. I do think that I want to do an additional episode down the road where we kind of talk about what happens after the Battle of Endor leading up to the beginning of The Force Awakens so people can kind of understand how the Rebellion uh, eventually merged into the New Republic and and what precipitated the First Order rising and, and destroying uh, that New Republic as we saw in the events of uh, The Force Awakens. So that is for another time. Uh, certainly, if there's anything we overlooked or any major details, please feel free to reach out to us. You can do that at um, via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com or on social media at uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest at JTA Podcast. And uh, if you do want to get some more perspective on some of these films, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Hyperion Adventures podcast, Tom's podcast, uh, along with his lovely wife, Michelle, has been doing a series called Star Wars Remembered. And we have uh, had the privilege of actually joining them on that show to kind of break down some of the films. I think uh, our next one is going to be Empire Strikes Back, correct? That's correct. And we're really looking forward to getting to that one. I was just watching it a little bit ago. We went to and saw um, Empire Strikes Back in concert at San Diego Symphony performing it out by the bay and they show the movie and that they provide the soundtrack. And uh, there was just so much, even though I've seen this film so many times, I took so many more things away from it. And we were excited uh, to discuss and we'll be doing that here in just a couple of weeks once you come back from your vacation, Rob. And uh, uh, we look forward to you coming along with us on this journey. We've already broken down all the uh, the prequel trilogy as well as the standalone film, Solo A Star Wars Story, Rogue One A Star Wars Story. And we are now in the midst of uh, the original trilogy moving on into the uh, the sequel trilogy eventually and leading up to, of course, the rise of Skywalker. And if you ever want to find our podcast, uh, the best place to do it is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. We're also available, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you ever want to contact us uh, socially, uh, we are on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Yeah, and certainly check us out. We're going to be posting some stuff on Instagram uh, while we're out there at Disneyland doing Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I'm also going to be getting some videos. So I'm going to look at putting some of that up on YouTube and uh, possibly some of the other content for the other events that we're going to be partaking in out at Disneyland. So if you have an interest in anything related to the Disney parks, I am going to get a channel up and going on YouTube where we can post some of that. Uh, But otherwise, we will look forward to catching up with you all next week, uh, which would be the week of the 21st. And other than that, hope you guys have a great week. And I should mention that we are going to send you out on a little different note this week with the uh, throne room music from episode four. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you.